It's the Sports Hour with Alexander Garrett. Here's your host, Alexander Garrett. And we are back here on the Sports Hour. And thank you to my stepdad, Vic, there for doing that intro. And, you know, this Sports Hour, by the way, uh, started back on WQMC Radio, the voice of Queens College, as really an afternoon show. It was basically between 5 and 6. And now we get to elevate it. It's been on the podcasting circuit for a while. But I'm so thankful that Kenya Dig Sports has wanted to pick this up. And we'll see where it goes. But for now, just love talking sports with you. I love talking about New York City sports. Born and raised New Yorker. By the way, rollerblading around New York City on one leg. Uh, there is some adaptability I'd like to talk about when it comes to its sports. The adaptive sports field is something worth examining, and I'm going to do that in the coming days as well. Because, see, you could talk about the NFL, you could talk about the MLB, you could talk about anything you want, really, in sports, but what if it's the same old shtick? What if there's other avenues and angles to sports, like the Paralympics, like adaptive sports? Do you know, for example, there's sled hockey? For people with disabilities, you can literally get on a sled and play hockey with real hockey sticks. I've actually experienced that. And I'll get into that more. You could do adaptive football. A friend of mine, Anthony Fitzgerald, has a big adaptive sports ongoing at Eisenhower Park in Long Island, if you're in the area. And I'm sure in your area, too, they have these miracle leagues for baseball. They have these different adaptive sports for even the blind who can actually hear when the pitch is being thrown so they can hit it. It's very cool. We'll get to all of that in the coming days as well because it means a lot to know that kids with disabilities could adapt in sports. And one of the biggest things that I could tell you is if you ever wanted to see that, come out to the Games for the Physically Challenged, now called the Nassau County Victory Challenge in Long Island, Nassau County, Mitchell Field, New York, Uniondale, right across from the Nassau Coliseum. There you'll see kids in power wheelchairs, regular wheelchairs, pushing themselves to the finish line on the track at Mitchell Field. You'll see them do track and field. You'll see them do even uh, wheelchair basketball they do, ping pong. And the coolest part is, if you know someone with a disability, or if you know, or if you want to be involved, you can. You can volunteer at these games for the physically challenged. So I would highly recommend you check that out if you can. And by the way, I'll give you an Instagram for that. NC Games for PC. NC Games for the number four PC. And there's a website as well. You can go visit Nassau County PC Games uh, for more information. So that's. Uh, Another objective of the show and why it's very cool that Kenya Dig Sports has given this platform um, to a show that I, I feel would be unique in, in many different ways. In the next hour, by the way, you're going to hear an interview with someone who definitely helped pave the way for this Sports Hour with Alex Garrett, uh, Bob Wolf. If you ever listen to old videos of the Yankees' Don Larson perfect game, He's the one that called that perfect game uh, in 1956 with the Brooklyn Dodgers, October 8th, 1956, an unforgettable date. And he also called the greatest game ever played uh, between the Colts of Indianapolis and the New York football giants at uh, Yankee Stadium, actually. So I got the chance to be mentored 
by him for years, and he would always come out and support, uh, speaking of adaptability, the Henry Viscardi School, which is a school for kids with disabilities, and they do a sports night gala every year, and through that, I got to meet him, and I got to see him at Yankee Stadium, and he said, why don't you call me up, and I'll mentor you, basically, and I'll talk with you. So he talked to me almost every Saturday about different styles of radio talk show, of play-by-play, of even live reads. So I'll get that uh, interview up and running in the second hour as well. But before this hour is done, what are your thoughts on the fact that Cam Newton got cut? I mean, look, this opens the field, I think, for a very, very level uh, AFC East. Okay, Josh Allen is a beast, okay, and he, he will most likely help the Bills win again. Because I don't know what Mac Jones is going to do as the rookie. By the way, do you know Cam Newton in 2020 had a passer rating of 82.9 for the Belichick-run Patriot offense? Pretty impressive considering he only had three, eight touchdowns thrown and threw 10 interceptions. But I just don't believe Cam was able to conform to what Bill Belichick wanted. I think that Tom Brady, for all the flack that he got, one reason why he was successful and is successful, was successful in New England, is successful in Tampa, is he's a student of the game. He would take his reps. He would talk with Belichick. He would be on the sideline with both Coach Belichick and Bruce Arians. And he probably is such a student of the game. That's why he's won seven Super Bowl rings. Because he was able to learn. He's been willing to learn. He hasn't said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it my own way. With Cam, I get the feeling he wanted to do things his own way that wasn't Belichick's way. And at the end of the day, is that really going to work? Was that really going to work? I mean, this Jones and Newton battle was basically all preseason long. And Mac Jones, the freshman in the draft, uh, freshman in the NFL, if you will, the draftee, uh, got the nod and gets the nod against uh, for the Patriots in week one, after cut day. And this now has a feeling of everybody being young. Tua for the Miami Dolphins at 22, 23. Zach Wilson of the Jets, his draftee at about 22 as well. Tua's 23. And then Matt Jones, 22. Allen, as I said, 25. And so it's a fairly young AFC East, and does that put these teams at a level playing field? I believe so. I think younger means mistakes could happen from any of these guys. I think that it makes it more competitive because the youngers, when you're younger, more competitive to be the best, and I think that's gonna we're gonna see that play out. It's also gonna be about management and who's coaching all these teams. I mean. For the Jets, you've got Soleil, Robert Soleil, who's fairly young, from the ni- hired from the Niners. And maybe youth will be good to get through to this younger quarterback, Zach Wilson. I kept saying Zach Williams, by the way, my fault, Zach Wilson. And for the Patriots, obviously, you've got a leader in Bill Belichick who likes to develop young talent. And, you know, he could have been a Jet coach. You know that story? He could have been a Jet coach. Was it for a day, then he quit. 
after uh, it, he basically was going to be a successor to Parcells, if I'm not mistaken. He was on Parcells' giant defense uh, team, which helped win in 1986. But Parcells, uh, but, but Belichick could have been a Jet coach moving forward, but he was only there for a day and then he left. And now at New England, obviously, he's won all these rings and he coached Tom Brady and I believe coached him. I don't believe Brady took his own cues. I mean, he probably, he did it after he got used to it as a veteran, but, you know, he was always learning under Bill Belichick. So Belichick has the youth to work with now and we'll see how that flies for New England. In Miami, you've got Brian Flores, who actually was an assistant coach for the Patriots under Belichick for 10 years, 08 to 18. So he knows his AFC East. He knows Belichick playbook. And he might be able to help Tua along here. I mean, I, I don't know. When Tua hurt himself and said he still wanted to draft, I thought he could have taken another year under Nick Saban in Alabama, but he decided to go to the draft, and he was drafted by the Dolphins. Now Flores comes in, I, I think... For Miami, you got to have some hope here because Tua is young and he's still recovering and he can recover from an injury like that. But it is about the coaching in the situation. With the Bills, I mean, Josh Allen is becoming a vet in all of his, in his own right, but he's had help coaching-wise too. He's got Sean McDermott up there, who, by the way, was an NFL top 10 head coach last year, and why not? The Bills gained their first preseason, postseason, winning their first postseason game since the 90s. Pretty big deal. And then, of course, against the Chiefs, that was uh, not a, an easy game against Mahomes. And Allen kind of looked lost. Mahomes was Mahomes. Of course, he looked a bit lost. But he still managed to make throws from his knees, even when losing against Brady and the Bucks. he still made that incredible try. I mean, those incredible tries from his knees across his body. But Allen, yeah, he is going to be expected to win the AFC East. There is no doubt about it. Considering they did it last year, considering that they have had a rise up and up to get to the postseason, to win a postseason game, now you got to get further in Orchard Park, New York. But it's all going to be coaching. I think these guys younger are going to be, whether they listen to their coach or not, are they going to be stubborn or are they going to be quite learned of the game at such a very young age? Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, 22. Allen, 25. And Tua, 23 years old. Can you dig it? <laughs> I might say that a couple times because I just love the name Can You Dig Sports. And uh, this is the Sports Hour with Alex Garrett. Now, I was talking about adaptive sports earlier. Yes, the Paralympics in Tokyo. We actually ended up shining, outshining in the gold and in the medal count in the regular. In the Paralympics, however, China's had 132 medals in the Paralympics, which also have taken place from now up until September 5th. And they do wheelchair basketball. They do... Again, the swimming, they do running. Um, Oscar Pistorius comes to mind because he actually was not a Paralympian. He was a regular Olympian, which is why his run was so special in uh, Rio. Of course, we all know what happened after that. But, you know, in Rio, he just shined. And it's a shame what happened to him after that. As someone who 
tried the prosthetic leg, didn't like it, started to rollerblade on one leg. To see this man become an Olympian with no legs but two prosthetics and do well, that's a big story. Only to see that he was abusing his girlfriend, he had put a gun to her. I mean, it was an awful situation that Pistorius found himself in. A very unexpected one. And it just totally ruined all that he achieved in Rio. But the Paralympics are a different kind, obviously. And I would throw in there with media, uh, a place where disabled stories are highlighted. Uh, they actually interviewed a Paralympian as they caught up with uh, Brian Bartman, Barton uh, on their platform with media. You got to check them out at with media and at with or their website with-media.org. You'll find that interview with him there. Would love to get some Paralympians on here before the actual Paralympics are over. There's about a week left because it ends on uh, September 5th, this Sunday. So closing ceremonies this Sunday. And you're always wanting to root for the USA, even if it's Paralympics, right? You got you to gotta cheer on USA and support them any way possible. And working down in 111 Broadway, the Canyon of Heroes, by the way, the last time there was a Canyon of Heroes sports event was when the women won the World Cup in 2015. <laughs> that was special. They went to City Hall. They got the whole big streamers and the confetti out for them. And then they really opened the Canyon of Heroes for these guys. and Well-deserved. These ladies, I should say. Well-deserved for them. This year, they did not fare as well in the Olympics. Uh, but again, it was a very different field. And, it, you know, I want to get to this for a minute. Because while we're on the Olympics, Simone Biles, you know, this was a story that everybody talked about. And I agree, she deserved to take her mental time off for mental health. Look, you're expected to perform under pressure no matter what on a regular Olympics year. Now you've got COVID protocols to deal with. Now you've got all these different situations you're dealing with around a pandemic, whether you test positive or negative, whether you're nervous to catch it or not, whether you're around people or not. For an athlete, it's daunting because you're already expected to perform at the highest level. Now you're throwing COVID into it and they are entitled to take their time when they need to. So Simone Biles, I agree that you need to take the time. Just like I agree with any of these pro players, like a Mike Trout, wanted to take more time off after his injury. Because playing in COVID is so, so unusual and un, not ordinary. It's out of the ordinary. So I say kudos to Simone Biles for taking her mental health days. We'll see what Osaka does here in the U.S. Open uh, Naomi Osaka, the, the tennis star, who, of course, walked away from Wimbledon in media and withdrew from Wimbledon. By the way, Simone Biles did come back, you know, and win a bronze in one of her events. So she didn't totally leave the Olympics. She did compete in one and got a bronze in it. So she worked at it. And kudos to her for doing so. And then uh, Osaka here in the U.S. Open. We'll see how she does. Obviously, Serena Williams taking her time out. But these players with mental health issues and 
whether or not ripping the bong for Michael Phelps did him in as a public icon, I think what he should be most noted for is not only for his amazing swimming performance, but also for the fact that he knew when to call for help. He was, according to him, suicidal. And some of these athletes have a dark mind because they need to play, firstly. And they want to perform so high at such a high level that, yeah, your mental state can get messed up. And I think for Michael Phelps, he addressed that mess up, got himself better, even reached out to Ray Lewis, you know, in, uh, in this for help. Created an app, I believe, to get help for regular people as well. So it goes back to the beginning of the tower. You're booing these players. Some of these guys have an issue mentally that they need. They check out if you're if they're booing them. They're not built to be booed. They they take that very tough. And I'm not saying ease up on them entirely, but understand that there's a mental health component to all these players because they're already beating up themselves. Now they hear it from the fans. Of course, that's going to get them down. Does it give them the right to act entitled and say, we're going to boo you back? No. But it it just shows that there's some fragility there that we have to discuss and, and actually honor, not tear to pieces. That there are some fragile psyches of players when they are... Uh, when they are at their best, performing at their best, or trying to be at their best. And I think that it seems like Javi Baez, Lindor, Villar, they're all uh, caught, you know, fed up with this. And wouldn't you be? If you're up there trying your best and you get booed every time, even if it's not a crucial situation, I think that's daunting. I think we have to be more fearful. We have to make the opponents more fearful than our own fan, players. As wussy as that might sound, our players need more support. If we want to win something for the first time in nine years, support the players. That's what I'm saying on Alex Garrett, uh, the Sports Hour with Alex Garrett. Support the players that play in the uniform for New York. You can be tough on them. Yes, they deserve to be uh, held to a standard. But at the same time, we're all wondering why we haven't won a championship in nine years. I think it's because the heat's turned way up here. By the media, by every, by Instagram, by social media now. Everybody's reacting on different things. I remember when Araldus Chapman was struggling, and he was a defiant poster. Saying that his story's not over with. And you know what? He's showing that, too. And we'll see where his rest of the season goes. But these guys take it under the skin. And if it didn't get under their skin, I think it would be worrisome because that inspires them to be better, I would hope, and not just do thumbs down, but actually do something better for the city of New York. But Zach Wilson, Daniel Jones, just a couple of guys as the NFL season wraps up, comes around the corner, that will be facing fire from our, from our fan base in the NFL especially now that the AFC East is mixed up with this Mike Jones uh, appointment to be starting QB. And the fact that the Cowboys are eyeing Cam Newton with Dak healthy, but maybe not all the way healthy. We'll see where that goes. That could impact the NFC East. 
So this move impacts New York football, most likely uh, not just him leaving New England, but a possible addition to Dallas. We'll have to see how that plays out, what Jerry Jones does. But in hour two, did you hear about the high school that lied to ESPN? Did you hear about that? Only to be blown out 58 to nothing? I'll tell you about that at the top of the next hour. It's going to be hour two of the Sports Hour with Alex Garrett, the very first show. Follow me at AlexGNYC1 on Instagram, Twitter, AlexGPodcast as well. And, you know, if you want to check out all my other podcasts, you can at Alex Garrett Podcasting on Apple Podcasts. The Sports Hour has its own section there as well. But we talk about adaptability, we talk news, we do talk sports, and that's where I'm bringing that fire here to Kenny Dig Sports Radio. And again, thanks to The Real Leal for welcoming this show on board. I'm Alex Garrett. We'll be back at the top of the hour with more of The Sports Hour with Alex Garrett. Around the nation and around the world, it's the Sports Hour with Alexander Garrett. Here's your host, Alexander Garrett. And welcome inside to the Sports Hour with Alex Garrett. I hope you're doing well. Uh, first time on Can You Dig Sports and, of course, on my regular podcast. Good to see you guys again. Uh, I want to first say thank you to Jaleel Lewis, who I guess is called The Real Leal on here on Can You Dig Sports. I was... Very honored to be able to get this opportunity to be with you from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. I am based out of New York City, and I do love sports. You know, I do believe New York is a sports town, even though there are so many distractions in this beautiful city now, and and even at the ballparks, right? Uh, When you have stadiums that you have a lot of room to walk around in and a lot of time and energy just not even pay attention to the game, you can literally just walk around the stadium see the tours, see the museums, see the different areas, and not even watch a pitch. I remember a time in New York City where every pitch mattered. I remember a time in New York City where sports was a fearful thing for the opponents. Now it's apparently a fearful thing for the actual New York players. I'll talk about that as well. But growing up around New York City sports, it's been fun. Obviously, in nine years, since 2012, we haven't had an actual champion since the Giants. Um, hopefully, that can reverse trend here. As you see potential with the Mets, you see potential with the Yankees, obviously. I mean, the Yankees just got on a 13-game winning streak, and now they've lost a few in a row. And you wonder, well, what's the chance of a postseason appearance at the end of September into October? We'll let all that play out. But there's no reason why the Yankees shouldn't be in the playoff hunt. There's no reason why the Mets should have dropped off the way they have uh, in the NL East. And I'll be talking about stuff like this. Personally, I want to just say thank you to all my family, my friends, and all those in sports who have really paved the way for the Sports Hour to grow. And uh, I'm thankful every day to them. I'm thankful to the Lord to get up and be able to do this um, for, for you guys. And here we are. So, I was saying how fearful it used to be for the Mets, uh, for any opponent to face the Mets, face the Yankees back in the good old days of New York sports. When our attention span wasn't distracted by a cell phone, but was enthralled by every pitch of the game. Remember, uh, Mets were in the World Series in 2000, Yanks were in the World Series in 2000. And I remember there were times where you had to board up the visitor bullpen 
because this fan base was raucous toward the opposer, opposing pitcher, namely John Rocker. The Yankees, their fan base would get that stadium cranked up, the old Yankee Stadium. But now it seems the fear is within actual New York City players, namely Javi Baez. And how is that? How is it that uh, Javi Baez is afraid to play in front of his own fans that boo him after missing a crucial, uh, after striking out in a crucial at bat? Because to me, this guy's getting paid to play, getting paid to hit the ball, not have, according to 538, which is a polling center and a statistics center, not have a 33% strikeout rate. That means Javi Baez is at a one out of three at bats of a, striking out every one of three at bats. That's unacceptable. And since the trade deadline, the Mets, I've been told, are about eight and 19 since even getting Baez. And that shows how wild this trade deadline has been. How is it that Javi Baez, one of three former Cubs now, all that were dealt at the deadline, Chris Bryant to the Giants, Anthony Rizzo, we've seen what he's done with the Yankees. He's been pretty successful. And then there's Javi Baez. You know, Baez came in as a guy that was supposed to be hitting all these homers that could swing at anything and hit a homer out of it. But now, as I say, he's got a one of three strikeout percentage. And he's supposed to be applauded for that? He doesn't understand, it seems, that New York City fans are natural booing folks. We are a naturally run-out-of-town, any-player-that-doesn't-do-well kind of city. And that's what I love about New York, because we're hungry. We're always hungry to win. Our fan bases are always hungry. And that keeps interest alive in the sports scene. But on the whole of it, because we haven't won in nine years, because some teams have even missed the playoffs, I hate to say it, but New York City seems to have become a mediocre sports town. And that's not good either. How is it you could go from winning four championships in a row to having only won one in 2009 for the Yankees? How is it the Mets almost have it in 2015, then completely implode the rest of the way uh, even during the Callaway years, the end of Collins, Terry Collins, then Mickey Callaway's manager. We know how that went. It was disaster here in New York City for the Mets. And so we also have the Knicks. We have the Knicks who actually got to the playoffs for the first time since 2013. Uh, got outmatched by the Hawks. Was a gritty series. But where was uh, Julius Randle? Where was Randle? And... How is it he could get an MVP, but then completely, you know, mess up during the postseason and really not be there? Same with the Nets. You know, the Nets had a 2-0 lead against the Bucks, and all of a sudden, they go back to Milwaukee. Kyrie gets hurt. Wasn't intentional by Giannis. We don't know. But the end result is Kyrie's missing the rest of that series after helping them get to 100-plus points in Game 2. KD just kind of missing that shot, making that shot, but it was a two-pointer, not a three. And then Joe Harris completely invisible after game two. Very frustrating for the Net fans. And in hockey, you know, mediocrity. The Islanders are trying to get out of that mediocrity. They've got the coach, Barry Trotz. They've got the GM, Lou 
Lamorello, they only needed a healthy Anders Lee, and I think they would have been able to push past the Lightning, but they got knocked out by Tampa for the second straight season in a, a second straight playoffs in a row, leaving many to wonder what's next. Leaving many to wonder if they had uh, a healthy Anders Lee, could they have gotten there? And then we look at the Rangers. They had to get rid of David Quinn. They got rid of their coach. And uh, what's very interesting about that is Quinn actually was not the first to be fired. See, in a mediocre city, you want all the best talent you can get. So why didn't they retain one John Davidson as president of the New York Rangers? Why didn't they do that? They should have done that. But they really, uh, uh, James Dolan, inexplicably, inexplicably fires Dolan and Gorton, his assistant. And you wonder why, if the Rangers want to win, you get rid of one of the best talents in, man, in upper management in John Davidson, former Ranger, by the way. Also played with Rod Gilbert, who has passed away. And we remember him. By the way, for that memory, go to AlexGNYC1 and you'll see a little bit why Rod Bear meant so much in my life and as much to the, to the to hockey faithful in New York City. I mean, he helped bring hockey interest in New York by his stellar play, by the goal of game line. And so we miss Rod. We also miss JD now, who's now back in Columbus as their president, after being let go by James Dolan, after being fired, uh, the day after the Tom Wilson incident that really should have gotten him can't, you know, suspended, it really got him fined and suspended one game. But the Rangers, you know, they get way heavier penalties for reacting. That's how the NHL seems to work. But back to the mediocrity. Mediocrity. The Rangers... Like the like the Mets were almost on the doorstep of championship just a few years ago. Now they have to rebuild. Now they have to um, officially say goodbye to King Henrik Lundqvist. And now they start anew uh, with with a new coaching staff. And so now they've got Gerard Gallant coaching for the Rangers, and uh, he was. Actually, I believe part of the Vegas Golden Knights' success, and now he's here with the Rangers, hired on June 25th. And we'll have to see what Gallant can do. But again, the Garden, a place where you feared going to play both the Rangers and the Knicks. Yet we saw, with the Knicks at least in the 2013, in the 2021 playoffs, we saw Trey Young not be feared. He loved the villain role. He wasn't fearful at all. He dominated for the the Hawks. I can't defend the Knicks fan that spit on him, but overall he loved the villain role, and sure enough, he helped them get to at least face the Bucks. But the Bucks basically did, did you know they beat the Hawks and moved on to the, the final. So, what's happened to the charm of New York City sports? That's my question. And you can answer it by emailing me at alex at alexgnyc.com, alex at alexgnyc.com. What happened to the charm of New York City sports? How did we become the pinnacle, the top, the biggest uh, sports town of all to now really feeling middle of the pack? 
we feel middle of the pack in hockey. It feels like we're middle of the pack in the NFL world because we see the, and we're going to get more into that, but we see the Jets and Giants seemingly stumble every season now, and it's like, what's going on? What's Daniel Jones going to do in his third season here, his second full season as a starter? What, what's going to happen here? What are the Jets going to do? You know, Cam Newton being cut, big deal there, and a new coach as well at the Jet, on the Jets' sideline. What What is Soleil going to do besides, uh, I don't know, take a paratrooper to a Knicks playoff game with using taxpayer dollars, and he thought no one would find out about it? Well, they did, and uh, we'll have to see what happens for the Jets' new head coach with, of course, the new QB, Zach Williams. But how do we solve the fact that New York City is a mediocre sports town? You may not agree with me. You may agree with me. But I would say it's mediocre right now. Because we haven't seen a championship in nine years. We've seen every team just miss it. I mean, the Yankees went from a sure bet to get in the World Series to now getting knocked out twice in 17 and 19 in Game 7 by the Astros. Cheating or not, the bottom line is the Yanks did not hit at all in Houston. They did well at home those seasons, uh, those postseasons, but on the road, they stumbled, they froze up. And we're talking about guys like Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Sanchez, Glaber. They all seemingly froze up when they were on the road. And now we see them in a playoff push. They're ahead in the wild card. They've had a bit of a tough road trip. They had the 14-game win, the 13-game win streak snapped by the A's before it got to 14. Then they lose two there. They've struggled a bit in Anaheim. I'm sorry, Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim. And then, you know, you could say, well, they come home to face the Orioles. But I've seen the Orioles beat up on the Yanks this year. So it doesn't feel like a sure thing. And and I hope I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like there's a sure thing for the Yankees right now, a sure path to even the playoffs, even though they're up two and a half or so in the wild card. Boston and the Rays, I think the Yanks, series, the Yanks like seeing that matchup right now as they try and gain more ground in the wild card because, let's face it, the Rays just keep winning. They look like they're going to be on pace for the division winner. Of course, they won the American League in the shortened 60-game season last year. Uh, and then they went and lost to the Dodgers in the World Series at Globe Life Park, our stadium in Arlington, new home for the Rangers. And then, as I said, the Mets, they're under 500. They're now seeing a, a team that has a cabal against the fans. You're seeing Javi Baez. You're seeing Lindor, Francisco Lindor. You're seeing Kevin Villar. You're seeing these guys say, we're going to do hand, you know, thumbs down because the fan base is making a struggle by booing. Get used to it, guys. You're not going to perform well. You're going to get booed out of town. You're going to get booed out of town. So I would say, before complaining about booing, before trying to give it back to the fans their own medicine, I would say win more. And stop acting like beating a national team that you should have beaten. And you almost could have beaten... Former national, now Dodger Max Scherzer a week earlier in Los Angeles, but with the bases loaded in the fifth inning, you strike out. I think J.D. Davis was the one that struck out with the bases loaded 
in, in Dodger Town, and we're supposed to, as a fan base, be accepting of your struggles. But New York City is not built that way. We don't accept struggling. We boo it. We want it out of town. We say, what do we sign this guy for? We call up talk shows and the same talking points over and over on sports talk radio. That's what New York fans do. They public they have public pressure here. And I'm just surprised that, you know, they're now making excuses for why they're struggling and, and using the fans as an excuse. I joked on my actual podcast, The Sports Hour with Alex Garrett, that, uh, you know, this team already had a Met give a gesture to the crowd. Remember when Mr. Met gave the finger to the Met fans? <laughs> I wondered if the Met players would adopt that as well uh, in their next routine when they get a big homer. That would be something. I don't think they will. I think that Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, who tweets about his own team as if he's a regular fan, which you got to like about the guy, by the way. But he uh, he and Sandy Alderson teamed up, and you know they, they basically don't want to see this anymore. And maybe, just maybe, the Mets will listen. And they face Miami, and, you know, that's a series that they should be able to do well in. But overall, <laughs> booing? Booing your fan base? Are, are you kidding me? Would that fly anywhere else? I don't think so. I don't even think Boston would boo their fan base like that. It's just immaturity. It feels like entitlement. It feels like, give us a break. Well, when you strike out with bases loaded, there is no break. When you strike out against Miami, in Miami, your first road trip as a Met, four to five times in one game, there's no break given to you. That's not how New York City works. At the same time, I say all this, I do feel that the tenacity of the city has diminished. Yeah, the fan base goes to the games, but do you hear sports talk as much around the city? I don't really hear like guys bantering back and forth on subways as much. Like, oh, what's happening with the Yankees today? I felt that at one time, no matter where you were, no matter who you were talking to, sports was on everybody's mind, everybody's lips. Everybody's like, what are the Yanks doing today? 1998, most wins. 125, and, and, and everybody was on, that was on their people's minds. Now, with this iPhone getting updates daily, is it too many updates because are we just worn out by the updates? Are we just too distracted by the phone to even talk to each other about sports? I feel like Sports Talk in New York has transferred onto Twitter, which can get pretty ugly, by the way. And it shouldn't be. It should be a forum that, that everybody can speak at, but, you know... You got the trolls on there. You got the idiots. You got the guys that think they can do it. You got the armchair quarterbacks, right? You got the armchair quarterbacks who think what they what they think. Who think they can do a better job than, say, an Aaron Boone, a, Roja, a Luis Rojas, a Robert Saleh of the Jets, head coach of the Jets, could do better than, you know, I don't know, Barry Trotz, who's won with the Cup, Won the cup with the 
with the Capitals and has almost brought the Islanders to the Stanley Cup twice. That Twitter thinks they can do better than all these people. Can do better than Joe Judge. You know, why is Joe Judge, by the way, being criticized for making his players run after scrimmage if the scrimmage isn't to his liking? What happened to that kind of discipline? Why is that discipline too tough now for these 300-pound guys? Someone answer me that. Joe Judge have these guys, has these guys run, and all of a sudden, that's a big issue? He can't have them run to, to make up for not doing well in practice? Man, you don't... If you were around college teams, you know. College teams do two-a-days. Uh, college teams have schoolwork to deal with. These guys don't have schoolwork. Their work is the football field. So if they're not happy to do more work on the football field to get better, I have no idea what to tell you. Are they really cut out to be a football player then? Are they really cut out to be a football player? So all these fans on Twitter think they can do better than all these coaches combined, and it just gets tiring. It's almost like, why don't we just log out and watch the game and see how the games unfold day in and day out, week in and week out. And I'm booing... When they're at the stadium, actually, because we know attendance has declined, right? I got the stats right here. Despite a new owner, the Mets are actually averaging 17,000 a game. So fans are not coming out as much as they did in 2019. I get it that you got COVID still. You got those issues. It's a beautiful day out, though. And the fan base, when I was there earlier in the season, when they were in first place, the energy was electric. But 17,000 a game... As an average, in a full year, that shows interest is being lost. So you're basically booing 17,000 loyal fans when you do that. But the booing won't just stop at City Field. I believe that when Zach Williams of the Jets throws his first interception, he will be booed. He will be booed. And if Daniel Jones does something erroneous in his first game against the Denver Broncos a week from Sunday... 425 start. Oh man, the fans are going to be ruthless. Because that's the kind of town we are. The kind of town we are is we want success every down, every snap, every possession. And if we don't get that basket at the end of the floor, if we don't get that home run, if we don't get that game winning run, if we don't even get that first down we need, you're going to hear from the fans. That's just New York. That's just sports. Where I have an issue with the fans is when they start going from the verbal to the physical. And for what it's worth, fan base, you should be really thankful. And I don't care where you're at listening to this right now on Kenny Dig Sports. You should be thankful that these guys are able to play in a pandemic. They put on 60 games last year in the NFL, uh, in the MLB. Sorry, my apologies. In the MLB. They put on whole football weeks without fans in the crowd, by the way. For us to make sure we still had entertainment known as sports and something to talk about while the depressing COVID-19 continued. So as far as I'm concerned here on the Sports Hour with Alex Garrett, booing to an extent, but also be grateful for these guys. And be grateful to the point where you don't throw at anybody. Not even an opposing player, because let's face it, they may wear the jersey, but they're still human beings. And these human beings have basically risked a lot to play and play for us and play for the fans. And to that end, I say, 
we must respect that. Or our fan base will not be respected back. The fan base will not be respected back as we're seeing with the Mets. I'm not condoning what Javi Baez is doing and what Lindor is doing and what uh, Pilar, Pilar Villar are doing. Villar. I'm saying the point is maybe we should ease up on them. Not a lot, but maybe not every at bat because these guys are playing their butts off. But you can't do that to your fan base. Just play. Just win. And they will start cheering. They will start cheering. Speaking of cheering, are you guys out there excited that Cam Newton is no longer the Patriots quarterback? That he's even been cut by the Patriots? Because look, now you've got a rookie QB in Mac Jones who, let's face it, they haven't had a rookie QB really since the Brady years. They tried with Newton. Cam Newton did not, I don't think he conformed to the Belichick playbook. I think he wanted to do it his way. I'll get more into that after the break. But are you guys excited at this possibility that the Jets are maybe on an even playing field? We'll get into that and so much more on the Sports Hour with Alex Garrett. You're hearing it not only on my own platform of Alex Garrett Podcasting, but you're hearing it on Can You Dig Sports Radio, part of the Jukebox Radio, And uh, we'll be back on the Sports Hour with Alex Garrett. 